0: Let's settle back in. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to get in the in the in the Word with you this morning. We we've been we've been going through Acts for a few weeks now. We started a series in Acts that we're gonna be we're gonna be uh, uh, com- going through that book probably for you know maybe about a year, and we'll be we'll start breaking that down into like some mini series here pretty soon. Um, but this you know over the last few weeks we've been talking a lot because because you know not because we're we're trying to topically but we're we've been talking a lot about the holy spirit and it's important to realize we're doing that because the holy spirit's actually kind of the main character of the entire book of acts like the, the the some of the main things that start to emerge when you study the book of acts is the the work the power the place the role uh in the in the life of the church of the holy spirit and then we start to to come across even over the last couple of weeks boldness and proclamation, signs and wonders, uh, uh, and the life of the early community, the, the nature of that early church community. Um, and this morning we're going to be in a, a, what's maybe a, a strange story, a peculiar story uh, in Acts 5, uh, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, so we're going to be in Acts 5, 1-11, through 11, And uh, it is a bit of a, you know, it's like you get out and you're like, what do I do with this? Uh, So uh, I love this. I love this text. And um, because it it is a bit, you know, it feels a bit divergent. It feels like it shocks our system a little bit when we read it. And I just think every time that happens, there's a lot there um, for for all of us. So let me pray for you. We can all kind of jump into the text together, read it, and then uh, start to talk through some of that some of that first reaction you have to the story. Uh, but let me pray for us for a moment. God, we, we always uh, 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 want to come to your word in humility and in submission because we can't understand it without you and whatever you say, God, we want to submit to. Whatever way you want to change us, transform us, lead us, encourage us, whatever word you want to deliver, God, prepare our hearts now to receive from you and to have the humility to hear and to change, to, to, to submit, surrender to whatever you have for us. It's in your name. Amen. Go ahead and take a couple minutes to read it, Acts 5, 1 through 11, um, and then I, I we'll break in and start talking about it. Go ahead. Okay, gather with like two, two, three, four people around you, two, two or three, uh, and just start talking out your, your immediate reactions to the text. What, what was surprising? What gripped you? What startles you? Uh, uh, maybe there's a little bit of that. Um, and, and just start talking out. What do you see? Go ahead. What do you see? Okay. Finish up your final couple thoughts, Irby. Go ahead, man.
1: Hey, Lucas. Hey, um, I got a couple things, just real quick. Yeah. Well, number one is, just I find it interesting that, like, anytime that something happened in, before this passage, like, there was like great joy. You know what I'm saying? This is there's a very different reaction. Yeah. This, a very and this different one reaction. like there's great fear just yes. running through the yes. congregation or whatever. Yes. And the second thing is um just, just a random like it's just very old testament. Like it just yeah. reminds me of like yeah. you know, the earth opening and people getting swallowed up, you know, sure. things like that. So sure. just sure. two observations I saw there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. The the there is um uh you know, not necessarily great joy. There's not not necessarily great rejoicing. Uh but And it's important to to realize there's no, Luke doesn't make an an explicit statement that God killed these people, but he also doesn't make an explicit statement that God didn't kill these people. So there's like mystery that Luke doesn't feel like he needs to fix for the audience here, and it's mystery that existed in the moment, and the community is interpreting that mystery as this, this, the timing of this is not a coincidence. And they're stricken by fear about that. And it does feel, it's kind of the first, you know, it's kind of the first, m- one of the first moments in this kind of new early church, new humanity where you get this little, this little glimpse of like death and sin and struggle. And it does remind us a little bit, it, it does echo and hearken back to Old Testament themes, Old Testament narrative. But there is, you know, maybe one uh, um, important distinction between this moment and an Old Testament moment, because in the Old Testament moment, the the, the people of Israel, in, in in some cases, even in the Judges, would have been instructed to carry out death uh, uh, and to kill, or there'd be moments where it was very explicit that 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 this was that God did this, um, and you know, there was a commentator I was reading this week, Willie Jennings, where he writes, there's, there's evidence even in this moment of redemptive movement. Because the people of God do not kill or, or or curse, nor are they commanded to kill or curse, nor do they take upon themselves the right to kill or curse. Such will never again be given to the followers of Jesus. And it's, it is like, it feels like Oh, this is like a moment that feels like or, or or seems like Old Testament, but it is different. It is distinct, and there's something in that. More, more, more. This is great. Yeah, there's one for you. Yeah. Is that so. To me yet? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey hey. Yep, that's me. All right, so uh, so after reading this text, I just came away with a bunch of questions. Yeah. <laughs> um But I'm gonna ask only one of them. Yeah. And <laughs> that question is, if they were honest from the get-go about like holding, holding, you know, hey, I, I need, I need to hold this back to like, um, maybe purchase a couple of cows or something. Like, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Right. I need to hold. I need. I need to hold a little bit of funds back. Right. If they were honest about that from the beginning, would they have lived? Yeah. Right. <laughs> what a great question. Anybody else have that question? Anybody else like wrestling? Yes. They. Is it wrong? Is it a bad thing to sell your entire land and property assets and hold back 3, 5, 10%? <laughs> and give the rest, give like 90, 93, 95% and lay it at the apostles' feet. Isn't that like in, in, enormously generous? Enormously generous. And yet, here we are. Here we are. They held a little bit back, and that. You know, uh, uh, plays out into this moment of direct confrontation, uh, a, a word of knowledge from the Spirit, bringing conviction and confrontation, and death in the end. Uh, uh, and I think you're right. I think that's part of that's part of what Peter is saying to them. He's almost saying, "Wasn't this, wasn't this yours to steward? We didn't, we we didn't tell you what to do with this." You're, you're, isn't this yours to steward? You could have not sold it, and nobody around here was going to judge you. Nobody around here was going to go, like, demanding it of you. Uh, uh, and, or you could have, you could have t- taken it and given away 90% and kept a little. Just tell us. Just tell us. And I think it would have played out very differently. I think you're exactly right. It's a great question. Just, there's one here, and then there's a couple over here.
1: So, like, I was thinking about that also, and Matteo was telling me that, like, right before this, I like guess, Barnabas? had like sold his land yeah and so it made me think about like what they call him out on is like the line yes and like i know for myself there's been lots of times like i've seen other people who are you know much stronger in their faith make a decision and go oh i need to do that yeah that's the righteous thing to do but i'm not at that point i need to confess right. that i'm not there right <laughs> and that that's not my heart right and get the help that i need like yeah. the confess your sins and pray yeah. for each other and yeah and that the forgiveness comes with the confession but to me it's more the the, like trying to act like I'm at a point that I'm not Yes. you're lying. That yes, that's, yes. that's
0: so, so good. The verses right before this where, where Barnabas, where the, you know, Luke is ta- giving us one another, the second of, the, of, of Acts so far, another little snapshot into the early church community. And it's the first point where he mentions that people are selling fields and land and laying the, laying the money at the apostles' feet. And they, he mentions particularly Barnabas doing that. Uh, and, you, and you, you know, there's, there's this, uh, this uh, possibility that maybe Barnabas was the first one to do a thing like that, but it was starting to become a bit of a trend. Uh, a, a few people were doing that. It was becoming a thing that people did. And for these people to step in and try to get all of the reputation of an act like that without the cost is, is somehow, for some reason, unacceptable, unacceptable. In this early church moment yeah was two right here hey
1: Jason yeah so just kind of uh I guess compounding on what you guys were just saying yeah it does feel like bringing this to the apostles feet would be a pretty public act and yeah. something that the church at large would probably be celebrating and it would be like a rejoicing occasion uh, but doing it in a dishonest way is kind of causing the church to celebrate a falsehood yes. you know whether it's like you said, whether they have the right to steward it a certain way or not, right. um, they're presenting it in such a way that like the church is celebrating something that's a lie in a sense. Yeah. Yes. And so it's, I'm sure that's something that the Lord would, would want to convict and kind of root out. Right. Um, but also it doesn't seem like Peter just struck them dead or something, but that yeah. they heard and kind of had that reaction. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And they're, they're, the church is celebrating a falsehood, a lie, and the confrontation to it is is—is not why did you lie to me? Why did you lie to us? It's, why ha, how has Satan so filled your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? Not, not me, not the, yes, me, yes, us, but primarily, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why would you conspire to test the Spirit of God? Is that how you see lying? usually is that how you approach people about lying usually hey just i don't know i just saw satan filling your heart a little bit and i just wanted to have a conversation i just want to have a dialogue about that i want to have a dialogue about that no 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 it's it's very very confrontational yeah right here did, did you still have one or no you good okay go on over here there's one over here
1: So you know a lot of times people say that the phrase "faking it until you make it <laughs> yeah fake it till you make it right, except faking it here makes you dead makes you dead <laughs> and, and, and so that's pretty problematic, but you know I, I, I just want to point out that there's this uh over, like like maybe to us it's different than it is to them, but there are so many ways in which we we pretend or lie or mm. fake uh. Like our own sense of integrity. Here we go. Yeah. Um, and so we do that in any sphere possible because yeah. we 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 deeply want to control like the narrative of how people see us. Yeah. Because how people see us is is like super important. Like we don't want them like. It, sometimes it, it's a sin thing. Sometimes it's a, you know, there are some things in your in your, your the back of your closet that you don't want people to see. But a lot of times it's just this sort of like natural reaction to like appear to be more successful than you are, appear to be more uh, intelligent than you are, it appear to be uh, more about an issue th- yes. than, than you actually are. Yeah. And, you know, this seems extreme, but if you apply it to that feeling that I think we all have, yeah. then it, it <laughs> at, at best puts us at, at mortal danger. Yes. Uh, yes. Because the Holy Spirit also sees yes. and is not impressed. Yes by the ruse by the facade by the veneer
0: yeah, yes amen can we get there this morning can we do this can we do this okay this is it guys this is where we want to go I'm gonna jump in I'm so 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 sorry but guys can we get there can we do this why are we not all dead right now right uh, I I had a a meeting with a microchurch leader a couple days ago and he just had this little phrase he said in the middle of of our conversation where he said, man, people have skeletons in the closet and their skeletons have closets. (laughs) (laughs) Can we get there? Who are you when no one is looking? Who are you when no one is watching? Because someone is always watching and he knows who you are. He knows. He knows, he knows, he knows. I came across this, uh, this video a few weeks ago and I was, I was, I was uh, uh, struck by it because it's a mixture of, of hilarious, but also I think it, it, it reveals a lot. There's a lot to talk about. So I wanted to watch this little video th- this morning before we, uh, in the beginning of our conversation about deception. Uh, uh, Want to have this little video? So let's let's watch this together. Sometime, would you maybe try to steal a bottle of wine or spoon some people in the park? <laughs> would you run around screaming at people, trying to be seen, trying to be noticed, trying to get attention? What if no one is watching? No one is watching. Because someone is always watching, and He knows who you are, He knows. I was particularly gripped this week by the interplay between comparison and lying, comparison and lying, and how comparison and lying collaborate together to create as much distance between the true self and the false self as possible. Who you are and who you want other people to see you as. And that space becomes more and more and more and more distant. The longer comparison and and lying interplay. In other words, to create a a distance between who we say we are and who we really are, the Bible might call that hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. See, the act of selling a field and giving all the funds to the apostles was becoming a trend like we talked about it was becoming this thing that people did perhaps started by barnabas and similar to barnabas those who sold land or fields would be seen uh, 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 naturally involuntarily as great examples of faithfulness they would have they would have with each one of those moments of sacrificial faithfulness to what god has had asked, asked them to do in a radical way they would have without even trying, they would have accumulated of faithfulness. And rightfully so. And their names would be remembered, their stories would be told, they would be perhaps sought out for wisdom by others in the community. But the unavoidable downside, the unavoidable downside of any sacrificial moment of faithfulness that becomes a trend when it becomes trendy, an unavoidable outcome is that it always produces fakers. People who either pretend to do it but don't really, tell people they do it but don't, or do it, do it entirely, but for all the wrong reasons and all the wrong motivations. Over the last about four years, I, I've... Um, had a lot of people donate cars to ministry, Uh, and that I, it's my, it's happened more to ministries that I'm involved in, and me personally, than almost anybody I've known, and I think it's attributed somehow to, to, I have this little side hustle doing stuff with cars, and then people know that about me, and then they think, if there's a car in my life that I want to donate or give, the best person to approach is Lucas, because I just, I have this little this little Craigslist stuff I do that goes wrong half the time and goes right half the time. There's really no magic to it. I just only tell people the, the times it goes right. So then people think it's, I, I, have a, I have a gift. So uh, honesty, right? Vulnerability, perception. I'm trying to get there with you. I'm trying to get there. Um, so over the last four years, I've had maybe, I don't know, 8, eight 10 people donate want to donate vehicles. Um, either to a family that I know or donate them as like an asset to be sold uh, uh, and then the, the proceeds be contributed to ministry in some way. And Sometimes it's an amazing vehicle and I've got no idea why they're doing it and it's crazy and they don't want anybody to know and they kind of want to be quiet about it and they're really humble. And other times it's a, it's a car that's like a little older, it's maybe got a few problems, but they're at least honest about that. They're like, this isn't the best car in the world and it's kind of run its course for our family, but it could serve somebody else. And if you think that, that they could serve somebody else, find them. If you don't, maybe just sell it and, you know, whatever. But they're just honest about that. And then occasionally, I, I, two times in the last four years, I've had to actually confront the person donating the vehicle to the cause of ministry. And one of them was a, a guy about three years ago that, that uh, wanted to donate a 19 year old vehicle with over 200,000 miles and a bad transmission. Do you know anything about transmission? I mean, it, like if you have transmission issues with like a seven year old car, it might be totaled. Like it, that, that junk costs 1500 $2,000 sometimes to fix. This car was already, it was only worth $400 in the first place. And it's got transmission issues there's not, you take this thing to the junk, that's all you can do with it, that's, you you know, don't pour $1,500 into it, but he, but, but he, you know, it looked like he, he was like, I want to give it, I want, I want there, maybe you guys could fix it up, maybe there's like a family in need, or, or you could sell it, or whatever, and give, you know, utilize the money, leverage the money, and I thought it, you know, it seemed like he had a, like a good heart, and I just, I was like, and sometimes I just say yes to things I shouldn't say yes to, so I was just like, I'll take care of it, we'll take care of it, and thank you, thank you, um, and all we could do is junk it. And the, and the cost to tow it to the junkyard made it so we came out with like 50 bucks or something like that. We had 50, bucks. And a day later, I saw this guy post on Facebook, donated my car to a needy family, glory to God, quest, exclamation point, all this kind of stuff. And I was so uncomfortable. I got so uncomfortable. I felt like if God had Facebook, he would, he would probably comment <laughs> He would probably comment on that and say, get my name out your mouth, you know, like this was not, I didn't tell you to do that, I didn't ask you to do that. We helped him more than he helped he helped us, you know, and threw it all out there, you know, super sacrificial of us when that car was sitting in their, sitting in their yard for like two years before it ever, anything ever happened with it. He didn't want to actually leverage his car to serve people, he wanted to purchase a reputation. He wanted to purchase what came with the public knowledge of that act, with actually very little concern about what that act would actually do in the real life help, aid, service of actual people. Maybe even acquire a little bit of respect in the communities that he was a part of. Maybe try to acquire a little bit of spiritual authority in the communities that he was a part of. And in this case, in this moment, you have a couple, this couple, who are submitting themselves not to Jesus, not to Jesus, but to a trend and using their land not to serve others, but to purchase a reputation to acquire for themselves a reputation. Not to love and serve others in an open-handed way, but to gain something with it. And not just to gain something with the giving, but, but also to hold some back just in case something happens. We just need to protect ourselves here. So through and through, the keeping and the giving is really actually all about the holding up and perpetuation of the self, the self to purchase respect and legacy, and the logic behind that unavoidable reality of pretenders is comparison. The logic behind it, the seedbed of it is comparison, measuring and discovering and pursuing your own worth and identity and value in a community by comparison by looking at others, comparing yourself to others, seeing what's celebrated in others, seeing what others like, instead of receiving and discovering your worth, value, identity from Jesus. You see, comparison can lead us to do all kinds of damage and destruction to ourselves and to others. And it is a driving foundation of deception. Comparison is a driving foundation of deception, because comparison leads us to replace, actually, the leadership of Jesus in our lives with the leadership of those around us. Looking around, how will I spend my life? Who am I? Actually, what gets to decide that is by looking around the community instead of trying to receive it from the leadership of Jesus. The leadership of Jesus creates a deep sense of security in our true self, what you might call life, it leads you to life. But a life driven by comparison creates an even deeper insecurity actually, a reservoir of insecurity and a more strong and expressive false self, what you might call decay and death. You might as well be carried off and be buried under its leadership. But without staying abstract or conceptual too long, what are our comparisons? that we make? What are the comparisons we make that push us deeper into the false self? What are the things that we look around and we feel pressured by and we feel like people value more and we look at our lives and we're disappointed and then we feel in that space of comparison, that foundation of comparison, we, we spring forth deception by either telling something that's not quite the real truth about our lives when we're talking to each other, or we actually start to live into a version of the self that is not me. It's not who God has asked me to be. It's not the work God has asked me to do. But I would feel more valuable if I did it. What are, are the comparisons we make? See, we can look at each, other, each other's leadership. We can look at each other's microchurch leaders we can look at each other's gifts and expressions, we can look at each other's microchurches, and we can, in, in our own space, in our own environment, in our own community of leaders, we can create an environment that gives birth to deception. We can create our own trends, we can create our own pressures for each other, and we can create an environment that gives birth to deception. So you might, you might lead a simple house church people gather in your living room and you're trying to hold each other accountable to missionary life. And everybody's just, everybody's trying to engage in the mission of God, the purpose of, of God in, in spaces that he's called you to. Your workplace, your neighborhood. You might try to find like something you enjoy, like, a, like, a, like a, a, some kind of recreational league or something and you really feel like God is calling you there to try to reach out, try to, try to actually birth spiritual conversations among, among authentic relationships. You might just lead a little simple house church with a few people around a dinner table holding, holding each other accountable to missionary life. And God might actually love that you're doing that. He asked you to do that. He called you to do that. And he takes great pleasure in the simplicity of that little house church. Dinner every week and walking with each other in life. But you might actually look around and you might start to feel pressure. That you don't have, your thing doesn't have a specific mission that you guys do. Like a specific people, a specific neighborhood, a specific thing, an outreach night together. Where you're like doing it all together. And you look around at other microchurches that are doing that. And they look like they're like changing the world, transformation. They look like this is an amazing thing. And you might actually start to give in to comparison. And that comparison will start to spring forth, bud into deception. If you've ever had a conversation with another leader around here and you feel like your, your your house church thing's a little bit lame or something like that, it's just a little too simple and other people are doing these crazy things or whatever. And then and then people are like, What well, Mike Church do you do? And you start to feel yourself a little embarrassed. Like you you don't you you don't quite want to talk about it. Or you or you actually you, you start to paint it in a picture that isn't quite true. It's budding deception bringing forth deception birthed by comparison among one another. Or you might actually feel the pressure to actually change what you're doing to do something specific when God didn't ask you to do that. And he takes great pleasure in your your thing that you're so disappointed in. He loves it. And and it's probably bearing fruit because he called you to do it and he loves it and he's empowering you. You could go and try to do something else and it's just going to die. It's just going to die because you can't do anything without him. We'll either, we'll either paint a picture of what we're doing that's a little bit off or we'll actually change and start to live out of that deception and create false self of how we think we're supposed to be, how we think we're supposed to look in this community. But you, you might also lead a microchurch that has a very specific, focused, targeted people that you're really trying to love and serve. You feel like God called you to reach those people, that community, uh, uh, that school, that street, and, and you're just gathering people around you who feel like you, you want to reach those people together. And, and, and God called you to do it, and he takes great pleasure in doing it, but it's so small. Because, because people can really actually only join it if they want to jump in to that calling, those people, serve those people. So it narrows down who could actually join it. And so it's slow, and it's a little bit small, and you feel a little embarrassed about that. And you look around at house churches that are just like gathering people for dinners and you see it growing and thriving and you think, my thing's kind of dumb. It's so, why is it so small? Why is it slow growing? And, you might, and people ask you, people come to, how's your microchurch going? And you know their thing is like there's new people every week and people are coming over all the time. And you start, to, you start to actually paint your microchurch in a little bit different light. You give them the newsletter. You give them the newsletter. You know what I'm talking about you know what I'm talking about. You give them the newsletter. And you feel embarrassed. You feel just a little bit embarrassed, and you just got to paint it a certain way, picture it a certain way. Or or you might start to change your thing to be wide open to people who aren't called to reach those people. And guys, that's not smart. That's not a a good decision. If, If he's called you, and he takes great pleasure in that, to actually liquidate and dilute that calling of your community will actually hurt you. Have you guys felt that? Am I crazy? Am I crazy town over here? We Look around and we start to, if, if we're not careful, can lose touch with the calling and pleasure of God on us and compare ourselves to one another. You entertain that very long and you'll start to feel the buds of, of deception in you. But I wanna just talk specifically, just for a moment, just, just for a moment, I wanna talk specifically to the leaders in the room who are not paid to do ministry. People in the room who have quote unquote secular jobs, I don't even like that terminology, but, but people who are living in the vocational world that is not vocational ministry. I, I understand, I understand that in this environment, you, you particularly can feel a whole lot of pressure in comparison. You can feel a whole lot of pressure, like the, 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 the job you're doing maybe isn't valuable, it's not worth your time. It's just a step on the way to doing full-time ministry somehow, some way, because that's what's maybe valuable around here. Or you might to feel like, what, what am I even doing here? What's, what's the, the purpose for this? This... this Nine to five I go to, this cubicle I sit in. But I want you to hear me very clearly. If God called you and made a way for you to sit in that cubicle, praise God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you're called to that job, even though it's quote-unquote secular or something like that, whatever that means, if you're called to that place and you're a priest a priesthood, in the priesthood of all believers, called to minister as an overseer in that space. Praise God and you do it. And if you do anything else, you're in disobedience. And, and, the, and the, the beauty and the gift of that work isn't just the, the relationships that you have and trying to share the gospel with people. Sometimes even the work of your hands is inherently valuable. People need plumbers. People, I, I, I need a plumber right now if you know one. I mean, my, 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 I need one right now. You know, so it's, it's not just like the relationships you have, the access you have, just like preaching the gospel. Like even the work of your hands is valuable. It causes, it creates value in the world. And God doesn't just call people to vocational ministry. He calls people to cubicles and data entry. And listen, if you're in that space and he's gone before you and you go there, you'll actually be more fruitful in your workplace than if you try to quit and move across the country and plant churches. You'll be more fruitful in your workplace. I know people who are more fruitful in ministry in their workplace than missionaries that are in places where they should not be. They're not called to it. And they're trying to do it out of their own power, their own strength, because they're deceived and living out of the false self, and there's no fruit, obviously, because there's an office somewhere with a cubicle, where people are waiting for them to finally wake up to their true selves and show up and deliver good news. Guys, around here, I just want to... Be, I, I just, I know sometimes it doesn't feel this way and we don't intend that but guys I just want you to know our heart is to celebrate not a specific look or model or image of faithfulness but to celebrate faithfulness itself, any version of it and, there's, and, and I think there's people who, who were dreamed of like middle class life and nine to five and, and working and, and th- that view of life and God simply would not allow it and called them into full-time vocational ministry. And it was a sacrifice. And at the same time, I think there are people who dreamed of full-time vocational ministry and God would not allow it and called them into, into like a, a workspace. And there's just enough sacrifice, just as much risk, just as much cost on both sides. It's not one or the other. And if you've, ever, if you've ever been in conversations around here with people and they're just, you're, just, you're just getting to know each other, small talk, and you get to the point where you have to talk about what you do and you just feel a little twinge of guilt, guys, be liberated. Be liberated from that. God sees you, loves you, and if you were called into that space, you discern with him as a missionary what it means for you to be in that space. And we celebrate that faithfulness. Now, if you're, if you're not called there and you're just hanging out in there, you better leave sometime. There's something else. Do not submit to that lie anymore. I, we're not going to have it. Do not submit to that lie anymore. Do what God is asking you to do, and amen, amen, amen. Because deception is the problem here. Comparison and then living out of the false self the reality is if, 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 if you actually, hey, quit, quit your job, step into full-time ministry, but God isn't actually asking you to do that, and you actually make that decision out of comparison, you won't actually do it all the way. You'll hold back a little bit of those proceeds. You'll hold back a little of those profits. You'll hold back a little bit of that grain, a little bit of that. You'll hold some of, the, some of it back just in case, just in case this doesn't work out. You'll hold back some of that because it's about you. The decision's about you. So of course you would, of course you will. But if it's about him, if he's asking you, if he's calling you, it's all gone. Who cares about that? It's all gone, because he'll protect me, he'll lead me, he'll care for me. See, when our lives are driven by and built by comparison, we inevitably fall into the necessity of lying. When our lives are built by comparison, We inevitably fall into the necessity of lying. We say we did things we didn't do. We say we do things we only kind of do. We say we do things more often than we do or we say we do things for certain reasons and motivations that simply aren't true. Our comparisons drive us to lie and then our lives drive us to compare and our comparisons drive us to lie and our lies drive us to compare until our false self, the person we think we should be, the person we think other people want us to be, is so distant from who we really are. The outer life becomes so distant from the inner life. But it isn't just others and ourselves that we lie to. But lying is always primarily a grieving of the Spirit of truth who indwells you and resides on the lips of every lie. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Why have you conspired to test the Spirit of the Lord? You see, it's always the Spirit who cuts through the lies, who exposes the futility of the false self, who shines a light on the grotesque hypocrisy that we keep hidden, it's important to realize this is, not, this is not Peter speaking from gut or intuition. This is the Spirit of the Lord delivering a word of knowledge about another person in the community and communicating that through Peter. The Spirit of truth contends for truth among falsehood. In 1860, the renowned preacher and pastor Charles Haddon Spurgeon was preaching a, a, a simple sermon from Luke when he... he The way he describes it, he uh, uh, almost involuntarily caught himself going off sermon, going out of notes, and words were spewing from his mouth in his own description as he denounced someone in the audience who was cheating their employer, stealing, and getting away from it, for it. He had no idea who he was talking to. And he did it for five, ten minutes. He just like had all this stuff come out. And then he was like, that was weird. And he jumped right back into his sermon. <laughs> and at the end of his sermon, he says a guy, a guy came up to him. Somebody in the crowd came up to him and said, Please, preacher, do not tell my boss. Do not tell my boss. I'll pay everything back. I promise you, I'll pay everything back. The spirit of truth cuts through deception and when the when the false self and the true self are so distant from one another i can't help you you can't help each other the spirit of the lord cuts that gap brings it together brings unity in the midst of the deception this was a word of knowledge by a grieved holy spirit contesting for the truth it is the spirit who is grieved by falsehood and fights for the truth. That's why the most dangerous place for a liar is a spirit-filled tru- church. The most dangerous place for a liar is a spirit-filled church. And maybe the safest place for a liar is like a, a, a spirit, spirit-vacant community. We're all just doing our thing. No questions here. No questions here. We're good. But you get people in the room and tuned with the spirit and you be careful about lying about a complicated relationship with the truth. I'll be honest with you, there's time, I've had real times where I've, I've had it in me to maybe tell a little fib somewhere. And I'd have all this justification and logic around it. This makes total sense. I should definitely do this. And you know what'll come to mind? The next time I'm meeting with LaBria Cherry, Keisha, Melissa, George, Julie, people in my life who I see as like spirit-filled people, and it's like, I, I just can't do that. This is too risky, too risky, too risky. I mean, my goodness, I don't know if any of you know, but Nancy Hernandez, is one of the most spirit-filled people I know, if I, if I have a lie on me, if I come in the office, I just assume she'll be like, hello, look at, oh, hold on. <laughs> what is this, you know? Is your microchurch a dangerous place for falsehood? You see, as as an overseer of a church, a creative expression of the church in the world, God wants to reveal things to you about your people through the spirit of truth. Are you open to that? Are you asking Him for that? Are you listening to Him for that? And guys, it's not, just, it's not just for the sake of like rebuke for the sake of rebuke or hostility for the sake of hostility or conflict for the sake of conflict. It's for the sake of a, of a radical expression of the kingdom of God, a space in the world where truth is normative in a world of falsehood. And listen, if you're as a, as a leader, if you're like listening to God on behalf of these people, like if they, like just I want to care for these people, I'm I'm past I'm pastorally concerned for these people. And if there's anything that you want me to just say to people on your behalf, even if it's just like exposing or realizing or something like that, I'm here. I'm wide open. And you might feel like you might feel like you maybe have a hint at something, but you're not sure. No, no harm in just sitting somebody down and just being like, Hey, can we just talk? I just I just you know, I just wanted to ask about this a little bit. I just want to talk to you. How are you feeling? How am I feeling? Whatever. You don't got to come in hot. You don't got to come and be like, I see a little bit of devil in your heart. Can we talk about that, you know? But if you feel like a strong word, you still have to go in with humility. I may be wrong, but the the, the spirit of the Lord just, just has this impression on me right now. I just have to tell you about it. I just have to be a faithful conduit of the spirit of God. Are you creating a radical countercultural space where it's more awkward to lie than it is to tell the truth? It's more awkward to hide than it is to be authentic in the community. A safe place for authenticity. And as leaders, we lead the way in creating that environment. You might want that environment, but it's never going to happen unless you start to set the tone, unless we start to create that environment where it's safe. To be vulnerable and authentic. And at the same time, you create that environment, you create that environment, and sometimes people still hide. Sometimes you'll confront people and say, listen, is that really the price you paid for that field? We're a space, we're a grace-filled community. Just be honest, just be honest. And I think if they would have been honest and said, you know what, our mistake. We're so sorry. I don't know why, I'm crazy. We don't know why we said that. We, we had a very different story here. But sometimes people are still going to choose the lie. People are still going to choose the deception and what it offers them. What are the lies we tell? What are the masks we wear? What is the reputation we try to hold up? Do you hang out with non-Christians to hold up a reputation as a bold evangelist, but you haven't actually shared your faith in years? I've done that before I've done that and I didn't want anybody to know I just wanted to keep hanging out with non-christians and let everybody assume that I was sharing my faith all the time because I liked that reputation I liked what it afforded me but I never actually wanted to take the real risk real cost of crossing that moment with the friends that I walked with do you present as a prayer warrior but you've struggled to connect with God personally in years Have you told anyone that? Have you let anyone into that? Are you afraid to let people into that because of what they might think? Or you feel shame about that? Because, guys, that's all lies. All that's lies. All of it. Do you tell people you do sacrificial ministry and the dangers of the inner city when you really live a block from armature works? Are you embarrassed to talk about that? Like if people ask you where you live, are you a little bit, like if you've built up that reputation and they ask you where you live, you like feel a little embarrassed about that? Because you should pay attention to those reactions with people. What does that, what does that mean? What does it say? Does anyone know that? Do you feel shame about that? Do you talk a whole lot about economic justice and the self-indulgences of the church but you personally haven't given in a sacrificial way ever? But people assume that you do because you have these opinions and you like those assumptions about you, that view of yourself that's been built without real cost. Does anyone know that? Who are you when no one is watching? Because someone is always watching. And he knows, he knows who you are. He knows. The worship team come up. This is the risk of kingdom leadership. We just have to be honest about that. This is the risk of kingdom leadership because every time you step into something God has called you to do, you step into something in a sacrificial way, you step into like a moment of costly faithfulness, attached to that is reputation, respect, public understanding and public view. And we run the risk, every microchurch leader, every person on staff, every elder, we run the risk of our our reputation and our public life outrunning the reality of our real life. How does your private life compare to your public perception? Is your private life bigger or smaller than your public life? And I I think the severity of this story, the seriousness of the story, the shock of this story I think it's intentional because truth and lies are always life and death things. And we might not feel that way. We might, we might think, man, why, why did that happen here? But it's not as serious now. It always actually is. Truth and lies are actually always a matter of life and death things. The truth leads to life and every lie is a step toward destruction. Which way are you walking? The truth leads to life and every lie is a step toward destruction." And As confrontational as this text is to the hearer, it's exponentially more dangerous for the preacher, unfortunately, here I am. And having to contend this week with this text and and with the word that I felt like it was delivering was, for me, to be honest with you excruciating because how has my public life ran too far forward than the reality of who I really am how have i benefited from reputation without authenticity and vulnerability how have i led you to believe that i'm more than i am how has my reputation outrun my true self what is it that i want you to believe about me that isn't quite true and of the considerations that I wrestled with this week because I have to go to the altar of the text before I stand in front of you. And as I sat at the altar of this text personally, I was extremely convicted that I want all of you to believe that I'm an amazing father. I like to wear my kids on the little the little satchel thing around you i prefer it instead of my wife because i want you to see me do that i like to post things about my kids because i like what it affords me but i think if if you if i knew that you knew how i am just privately with my kids i'd be embarrassed i think i'd be embarrassed that I, I struggle to just sit on the carpet and play cars with my four-year-old. And I don't know why, I just, you know, I'm just thinking about work and I don't know if I just see it as like a futile act or something, or, you know, you, in in just wrestling with this during the week and wrestling with it. Even last night, I've, I had my my eight month, nine month, 10 month, I don't know, 10 month old by myself and I just, felt, I just felt like I don't, I don't know how to be present with my, with my kids. I just want to watch a game or be on my phone or read an article or call somebody or something like that. And I just, I just struggle to just be present, to embrace the call of fatherhood with my two kids. But I love it when you all think otherwise, actually. And I try to protect my perception here with all of you and you know what that's done for me over the last four years it's just made it worse I don't got anybody asking me the right questions I don't have anybody pushing me to be better in the call of fatherhood because nobody knows nobody knows because I want to hide and I want to build a reputation as this amazing father and I can't even roll a car around on the carpet with my son without internal torment. Like, why don't I like this? I should like this. I wish I liked this. What I want to do, I can't do. But what I don't want to do, I keep on doing. It's like two things are at work in me. But guys, if I just keep trying to work it out internally, you know what no one can ever say over me? There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Jesus. But if I say it out loud, then the community can say, hey, listen, I struggle, you struggle, we struggle. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Stop trying to hold yourself under these lies and we'll walk with you. Because good luck on on your own. Try to do it by yourself. That junk leads to decay and death. What are you hiding? What are your masks? What's the reputation you want that you fight hard to uphold? What's happening in your private life that you'd be embarrassed maybe if people knew? Guys, you have to tell someone. You've got to get it in the light because there's all kinds of lies that the enemy has you wrapped up in that are preventing you from bringing it to the light. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Bring it forward. I'm going to invite you not to maybe um, publicly confess, but I'm going to invite you to really to take a moment personally and really think about that. Some of you already know what it is right now. You knew what it was 15 minutes ago. But I'm, I'm going to invite you to take a moment, ask God, ask the spirit of truth, where am I leaning into my false self? Where am I leaning in and, and, and have I been, even been deceived myself? I'm gonna let you take a moment to pray, to ask God to search your heart, reveal that to you. And then I want you to confess it to him. I've been held up in this, in this comparison game. I've been trying to pursue this piece that is not me. I've hid it from myself, I've hid it from others, but primarily, God, I have lied to you. I have tested you here. And when you've confessed that to the Lord, I'm just gonna invite you to stand up. And as, as, as the room, pockets of the room stand, we're just going to be in this wave of the destruction of the false self in favor of the true. The destruction of lies and deception in favor of truth, grace, mercy, and authenticity. And in that place, in that place, when we've, when we've confessed first to God, then we can come forward to the table to remember there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And after you've confessed it to God, guys, don't let it go very long before you tell another person. Before you tell someone else. Maybe somebody who really needs to know, should know. Someone in your community, someone in your life. Take a moment to pray, God, we, um, whatever, whatever revelation you have for every person in this room, deliver it. We rest in your sovereignty and in your zealous commitment to truth and so God any falsehood in the room lift it break it expose and give courage and guys when you know and you've taken a moment in confession As everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed, feel free to stand as a way to stand up into the truth and the light of authenticity.